Welcome to LinkedIn Smart, a podcast revealing secrets to success on LinkedIn. Each week, we interview one remarkable person willing to share their best strategies. So sit down, relax, and enjoy the interview. Here is our host, Vitek Ladislav. Today, we are going to chat with a guy who can get your story right for sales, for fundraising. He is useful to have around. He wanted to be an FBI profiler, but instead ended up as a business school professor in Singapore. That is history too, because he is an entrepreneur now. Expert on storytelling, Neil Bearden. So thank you very much, Neil, for joining us today on LinkedIn Smart Podcast. It's, um, it's a pleasure to have you here all the way from Singapore, right? Yep. <laughs> Neil, I wanted to ask you, um, when did you start with LinkedIn and what, yours, what is your story uh, with LinkedIn? I think I got LinkedIn when I became a professor at INSEAD. So probably 2007, I got it. I didn't know what it was. Used it a little bit. Forgot about it. One day in May 2019, posted a video of a story that I'd been telling in my storytelling class for a long time. It got a million views in about a week. And then I started using LinkedIn a lot because I saw how useful it was. Um, yeah, I mean, reading your about on, on the LinkedIn, it, um, it is kind of interesting because uh, I think you, uh, you had a dream to become uh, FBI profiler. Um, you, got, um, uh, you got a lot of, lot of history with, um, you know, shooting things, I guess. So, you know, those, those are the things, you know, which, which kind of like uh, got me interested in. And that's why I mentioned, you know, that probably there was a bit of an intensity in your life. Yep. So I grew up as a redneck kid in Louisiana. Aspired to become an academic because I went to a movie once and I heard a professor in the movie described as articulate. I didn't exactly know what that word meant, but I knew that it was positive and I hope that someday someone would describe me that way. Set up on this path to become an academic. Did it for 20 years. Found it thoroughly boring. You mentioned you um, you went through some quite dramatic change uh, in the past few months. Um, how is it for you? And is there any way how LinkedIn has helped you in that in that process or in that transformation? I would say, well, my process began of radical change began about a year ago. Did LinkedIn help? Yeah, because LinkedIn showed me that there's an enormous market for what I do. Until then, I'd been going into my classroom, doing well. Students liked it. I just thought I was just destined to live my little professor life. Then I started sharing some of the same things, some of the same content on LinkedIn that I do in the classroom and found that there was a much broader appeal than I'd realized. So I learned that there, I discovered there's a market and that there's a business, that there's a very promising business. That's what okay. LinkedIn has done. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what you do right now. And um, because I know that you're a storyteller. So just just um, enlighten us what, what exactly you do right now. Sure. So I help anyone who needs help communicating in a more interesting way. The mechanism often is storytelling. That's from sales to pitching, raising investments, to being more compelling as a leader at your all hands events. Do you want to give what I call a crappy little speech, acronym SLS, or do you want to say something that's more memorable and more inspiring? So working with folks from broad spectrum, they all have the same core set of goals, which is saying something that gets people's attention, that is easily understood, 
that is memorable and that can be talked about. And there's no better way of communicating than communicating in a way that achieves those goals. Because if you achieve those, you've been effective. Otherwise, you haven't been effective. Looking at LinkedIn, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of lot of people they posting content, they posting certain you know um, facts, information, industry news, all these things. Um, very few people they actually share stories. Why do you think is that? I think because they don't know they can, so they post some link to some Wall Street Journal article that's behind a paywall that no one's going to read, but a few people like. I think they do that just to say, hey, I'm here, I'm still here. And they don't share something that's more meaningful because they don't know that they're licensed to. Why don't they know that? Because I think they have some BS notion of professional and professional means uptight and stiff and not talking about anything meaningful. And so they post some stupid link to the Wall Street Journal instead of talking about the challenges they're having at home because their kid is at home jumping in on their Zoom meetings, which everyone is going through. So that's one reason is they don't know their license to talk about that stuff. They think that talking about that stuff, the real stuff, the stuff that's in the stories is unprofessional. And two, multiplier, I think they get very uncomfortable if they feel that they're going to tell a story. Two channels through which one can do it, video, people get scared as hell of filming themselves telling a story. It's very awkward. Another is writing. Sometimes people do it. Sometimes it works well. Often it's not. It just sounds like bad writing. And I think people know this. If they try to do it and it doesn't work, it can look pretty bad. So that's the second part. But the first part is just a reduced awareness that it's feasible that they do it. Hmm. So what's the solution? Realize that you can do it. And with a bit of effort, you can actually do it well. Hmm. Because people shouldn't be doing it poorly. I, I don't want... I don't want those Wall Street Journal links in my feed, but I'd rather have those than a bunch of garbage stories, honestly. Mm -hmm. But it, with a bit of effort, people can improve on that. And then people will start listening and people will start remembering what they say. And then they'll start generating, I think, meaningful conversations. Because mm -hmm. right now there are very few, in my opinion, there are very few meaningful conversations. There's some, I'm not saying there are none, but there are very few meaningful conversations. And I know almost no one. I have 28,000 followers, whatever that is. And I know almost none of those people. Yet I see a bunch of their stuff in my feed. And even when I see it in my feed, I don't know them. So they're passing through town. I'm definitely not going to invite most of them to my house to sleep on the couch. But if they posted stories and if we had meaningful engagements with one another and actually got to know them, then that's actually plausible. That's feasible that we can bond rather than just network. And so at a broad macro level, I think there's just this misconstrual of what the platform is about and that it's for networking. And somehow that's this pragmatic moving around of tokens and relationships and not meaningful substantive exchange, which feeds into that first misbelief that people have. You mentioned something about uh, with a little bit of an effort. For some people, that might be a really high mountain, not really little effort. What would you tell them uh, where to start, you know, how to, how to start with the storytelling? The, the first thing to do is just to start. If you get any book on storytelling, almost any book on storytelling is going to talk about the SFD. SFD. Mm -hmm. What is the F SFD? It's the, it's the crappy first draft. That any good story begins with a crappy first draft, SFD. 
and that's what everyone should do. So it's better, even though I don't want to see it, don't, don't put bad stories in my feed. Nonetheless, you should post something. If you want to do it, you should try. And then if people respond to part of it favorably, they comment on it, they like it, they remember it when you see them, then you, you realize there was something to it and you just keep iterating. So it's, it's difficult to get going, but I think once you get going and you start experimenting and you expose yourself to a little bit of risk, it's not difficult if you commit to it to improve. But what's the worst thing you can do? We can, we can flip the question. Okay, what can people do that's not gonna help? What people can do that's not gonna help is nothing. Oh, I'll order some books off of Amazon. I'll, I'll get the cheapest shipping possible because I know I don't really want them to come because when they come, I'm supposed to read them. And after I read them, then I'm supposed to write something that the whole world can see on LinkedIn. And so there's a lot of resistance, I think, of people who say they would like to do it, but don't do it because they know that they're gonna be exposing themselves. But what's the worst case? The worst case is no one sees it actually, right? If it's bad and no one responds to it, the algorithms are just gonna send it into the ether, into oblivion, and no one's gonna see it. Okay, so the worst case scenario that people have in mind, I'll make myself look like a fool. If you make yourself look like a fool, no one's gonna see it. So it doesn't matter. So the best thing to do to summarize is make a crappy first draft, put it out there, and just keep trying to get better and develop your own style. Mm -hmm. don't, don't order books off Amazon and wait six months for them to show up or use book suppositories. So they'll really take two years to show up. Is there any, any like a features of, of, a, of a story which we can, we, is there any template or, you know, like a, I, I'm just trying to think of, of somebody, some a business owner who is posting now those links from <laughs> Harvard Business Review and all these kind of things. And he wants to, he thinks, yeah, okay, let me let me try to do some stories. You know, are there some templates or what what would you what would you tell them? So in a story, so here's the thing. In a story, so there there are two ends of the spectrum. There's what I call the crappy little speech, the SLS. Mm -hmm. And in that, people just say, It was amazing, it was great, it was wonderful, these are fantastic people. And they and they just they, they describe things, but in a story, the distinguishing feature of a story is in a story, something happens to someone. So if you want a template, describe a situation in which something happens to someone and either something or most likely that someone is somehow changed by whatever happens. And that's the template, mm -hmm. right? We don't need hero's journey. You don't need to read 600 pages of that, but all you need to do is just have a character probably you, or maybe someone you work with, or maybe someone you know, or maybe someone you don't know, but just have something happen to that person, describe it, give the character a name, give us a sense of what the person went through, and then we will have a story. It's really, I, I, Mr. Williams in 1983 at Broadmoor Middle School, where I went to school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, he would bring us into the gymnasium after the children had been acting up, and he would tell us what we needed to do. He would give us our behavioral guidelines, and at the end, he would say, and it's just that simple, young people. And, it, and if you want to write a story, it's really that simple. Just have something happen to someone and have that person change. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, that's a story. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that and you just say, I'm an ambitious, dynamic, thought-provoking, thought leader with a massive desire to evoke change, and you just say a bunch of LinkedIn gobbledygook garbage, that's not a story but show yourself overcoming obstacles, 
challenges, getting punched in the face, slipping, recovering. Describe that in detail so that we can see a mental movie of it happening and you have a story. That's not very difficult to do. What's difficult to do is just getting the courage to do it. And again, I'm gonna repeat myself. Why do people not have courage to do that? Because they have some BS beliefs cooked up that if they do it poorly, it's gonna be embarrassing, but they need to realize if they do it poorly, again, I'm repeating myself, the algorithms are gonna demote it, no one's gonna see it. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter, right? The only way people are gonna see it actually is if it's okay. Mm -hmm. So do it and have something happen to someone. <laughs> Why do you think the stories are so powerful? So I don't know, but here I'll, I will tell you something. If someone tells you why it's powerful and they start talking about neurotransmitters in the brain, dopamine, ask yourself a question of what pragmatic value is that to you as a potential storyteller? Like for instance, suppose I gave you the standard BS answer. Usually if people have no neuroscience background, no understanding of what's going on that, well, it's, be, it's because when you hear stories, it evokes dopamine, it triggers dopamine in the brain and oxytocin. And I go off on that whole spiel. At the end of that, which a lot of people nod to and it sounds interesting, ask yourself, at the end of that, what are you going to do differently? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I have a very simple philosophy of science on stories. It's we don't, we don't need a theory of why it works. We just need to know what it takes to make it work. And to make it work, it's pretty simple. You have something happen to someone, overcome some obstacle generally, and people for whatever reason, oxytocin, oxymoron, something, will root for that character. And if they get a mental movie while they're experiencing it, they will be more engaged with it. And at the end, they will retain it. And that's what matters at the end is that it works, not why it works. Okay. Okay. So anytime someone comes on here and they start talking about oxytocin or dopamine, edit it out. It's just, it's missing. It's fake news. Hmm. I, I, I didn't want to get into, into a brain and, you know, kind of like a dissecting in, um, with the oxytocin and dopamine and all that stuff. But uh, I wanted to get out of you the, the you know, why do you, why do you like stories? What is it? What, what are stories to you? I personally like stories for me because they help me make sense of my life. Now let's, let's go away from the word story to my preferred word narrative. So what, what, it, what a narrative is, is it's a system of stories that we use to really understand our identity, to make sense of the world. And when I start seeing how my experiences, how I've packaged them into stories and how these stories are related together, I start understanding myself better. I start understanding all the goofy things that I've done, all the goofy insecurities that I've had, and then how I can start to rectify them. So what I like about it is it's, it's a very consolidated, simple, digestible way for me to understand myself, for myself. Now, why would I like to hear your stories? Because if I hear your story, then I'll understand you. If I hear your CV, I'm not going to understand you. I'll know where you worked, where you went to school. I don't really care, honestly. I don't care about that stuff. But if I hear your story and I understand your why, and I know your insecurities, and I really appreciate the why behind your ambitions, then probably I'm going to see that we have some similarity. Even, even if the overlap in our CVs is zero, when I start to hear you speak as a human being, and that's what comes out through storytelling, when you give me a glimpse into your inner experience, that's what I get when you tell me a story, then I will root for you. I will like you. When you come through town, I will invite you to my house. You can use my spare bedroom. And that's what I like. It, it allows me to connect with myself. 
it allows me to connect with other people. I think that's the real value. Mm -hmm. Forget some neurotransmitter. Mm -hmm. It's just unambiguously the case that when people share stories, they start to forge bonds. That's just an empirical, easily verifiable fact. Neil, you're talking about um, certain insecurities and being vulnerable because because that's what what basically storytelling is, I guess. You know, when whenever you when you're sharing your story, you're becoming kind of like a your heart and and soul is open to to other people, which for some people may be very scary. So they would say, you know, why would I why would I do that and why would I do that on on LinkedIn, for example? What would you say to them? First, I'm not saying that everyone should go on LinkedIn and start whining and crying and I feel inadequate. I'm definitely not saying that, okay? However, if someone has a story and that story illustrates some truth that is relevant to some context on LinkedIn to some point that you're trying to make, in that case, in a very, very contingent case, if acknowledging that vulnerability and illustrating it allows you to more impactfully powerfully make your point, then it just becomes rational to do it, right? If my objective is to make this point and I can make the point and I'm assuming minimal cost, I'll come back to that in a second. Why are people worried about doing it? But if I assume it's some minimal cost, some minimal risk to myself, I can make my point more effectively. Well, then making some reasonable assumptions, I should. Now, I think people think if I acknowledge, for instance, that I have imposter syndrome, which my thesis is everyone except just obnoxious, arrogant individuals, and probably even them the most, has some version of imposter syndrome. Everyone does. And if acknowledging that exposes some vulnerability, well, there are two classes of individuals, if we want to model it, who are going to respond to that. There's most people, decent people, who will sense the same thing in themselves and who will appreciate hearing it, and then there's a subset of jerks, right? Who might respond unfavorably to it. Oh, you shouldn't do that. That's non-professional, whatever they might say that you worry about will happen if you expose that. And then who cares, right? Who cares about what some narrow, miserable, cynical people are gonna say? So what do you do is you just bracket out that audience and you speak to the group of people who matter and the people who matter, that big group, most of them are actually decent people who aren't gonna hold it against you. Okay. so. If, I, this is my thesis, that a lot of people miss overestimate the risk because they worry about just the jerks and the people who think that it's about being professional, which amounts to them living a life in the end probably that's miserable and not to the human beings. And most people on the platform are human beings, it turns out. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Neil, you were, talking, <laughs> uh, you were talking at the beginning, you mentioned that uh, you while looking at, at the LinkedIn you don't really see a lot of meaningful conversation. Can you define for us what is meaningful conversation for you? It's simple. Meaningful for me is a synonym in this conversation for I actually care about it. Okay, if, if we start, like I'm not going to get on that. I don't care, for instance, about Boris Johnson and Brexit right now. I live in Singapore. I'm about to move to the woods of North Carolina. I don't care about that. Okay, I'm not going to engage in that. That's not meaningful for me. Now, for some people, that's meaningful. I get that. But if someone posts some link to some HBR article where some professor the, striving to get tenure published some article about the power of introversion, blah, 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 some massage data, 
if people start commenting on that, but no one is being vulnerable and no one is being honest, and it's just, oh, that's wonderful, insightful, but no one says, you know what, I, and they open up, then I don't really care about this noise chatter. A lot, so LinkedIn is kind of the anti-Twitter, and, the, and that's a good thing. On Twitter, there's a lot of nastiness. On LinkedIn, there's kind of phony positivity, I think. Everything needs to be, that's great, that's excellent. Not, you know what, actually, and then someone opening up, being vulnerable, being meaningful, generating meaningful conversations. It operates largely at this superficial level. And there's, I don't, there's some, maybe it's even an orthogonal dimension, but there's some different ground where people can just be not nasty and truthful and engage in substance and not share links in this like token economy that it seems to encourage. So maybe I'm cynical, right? Because we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. That's one of my operating assumptions. So maybe I'm just projecting my own cynicism to what I see in my feed, but mostly I see just a bunch of shallow garbage, frankly. Hmm. Okay. I don't know, do you have many meaningful conversations? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. About what? Um, about the things which matter to me. So I, I do, I do like to talk about, um, like for example, the I was just I was just having having a conversation with some some of the LinkedIn LinkedIn guys about the, their latest research. You know what did they do and um, and which which was kind of like a enriching to me in terms of um, more information, better information, and better understanding of the platform, for example. So that was for me meaningful conversation. Okay, so I get that. I experienced that kind of thing too. I'm centering meaningful in this case on kind of human meaningfulness, some somehow relationship meaningful. Is, you know, is there some pragmatic information? I follow one guy, Chris Harvey, who posts stuff about VC and it's great. Every time I see it, I read everything he posts. It's incredibly useful for me. It's useful, but it's not, I'm not putting that on the useful dimension and, and the meaningful dimension are different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I definitely get some useful stuff meaningful stuff and if you ask me to define meaningful i can't i'm not getting so much of that so maybe i'm collapsing different dimensions into the use of this word that you're not yeah. and we're just kind of having wittgensteinian nonsense talk with each other <laughs> no i i get i get what you i get what you're saying uh i was just i was just wondering about you know because you mentioned that you you don't see much of a meaningful conversation on on linkedin um do you think it's because uh, people are just too busy? They they just look up. They they just look for the kind of like instant gratification. Perhaps you know checking the boxes. You know these kind of like a um, I don't know. It's just a it's just a life we're living. I guess you know that, that you know people just they they know that they need to be on the LinkedIn, for example. So they just put some something out there. They check the box that they are there. They don't really think much about it. So. You know, they just gratify themselves that they are there on LinkedIn. They post it on LinkedIn and that's it. What do you think about that? No, they are lonely, desperate people. That's the reason why they're there is because they're in some way they're unfulfilled and they actually want something. But most of them, this is my thesis, most of them don't make the effort, have the courage to do what it takes to actually get the reciprocation that will give them what they're looking for. So they throw out the goofy... HBR link, but they, they went there because they were looking for something. And then they just end up doing that because they're cowards, because they, they won't do what it takes to get what it is that they want. 
that's my goofy mm -hmm. dilettante sociological thesis on this. So how you how you make them or, or are you helping them to overcome that barrier, uh, that vulnerability uh, to get over that, 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 you know, hoarding and get on the other side of the of the wall? I don't know. I, I'm not trying to particularly help people on LinkedIn. That's that's not so much what I do. Mm -hmm. I the people I work with, I just try to help them know what it is that they want to say and figure out how to say it so that it gets people's attention. They understand it. It's memorable and people can talk about it. If they want to then take that onto LinkedIn, that's great. But I'm definitely no LinkedIn specialist. It's not what I do. Mm -hmm. I just I just happen to go there because I have an audience there. And I connect with people and it lets people know that I'm exist over here using providing this service on this. Neil, so um, let just just uh, just my question would be, you know, how how are you using LinkedIn for uh, for your business outreach or is there is there any way how you do that? You know, what kind of content you're putting out to attract your potential clients? Yeah, my strategy is very, very simple. Everything I put out, at least this is my goal. Sometimes I, I'm surely I, I make mistakes, but my goal is just to put out truthful content. This is what happened yesterday. Story about my daughter. I think there's some lesson from it and just to be myself. So the guy you're talking to me, this, this conversation, this is me and there it's me. And my goal is that through that, just by being myself, not phony and uptight talking about dopamine, whatever, some BS, but by being myself, it will let the matching mechanism work out. What's the matching mechanism? I have preferences. I have certain kinds of people I would like to work with, certain kinds of companies I would like to work with. They will, folks will see me and decide, is this the kind of person I want to work with? No, they will go some other place. Good for both of us. Yes, they come. So my strategy is just to be honest, to be truthful, to be me. And, and so far it's, it's creating wonderful opportunities because I meet people who want to engage the way I want to engage. So just simple strategy, more people should do it. I think just be yourself, cut out the phony stuff. It will facilitate the matching. Everyone will be better off. Mm -hmm. Do you actually think that LinkedIn is a good platform for storytelling? In what way? Um, yeah, like a sharing the stories, um, uploading, uploading the videos, um, being open. Because uh, on the other hand, you, what you mentioned before, and I also feel sometimes like that, that, you know, people just putting on some, um, some phony, you know, face or kind of like they're, they're someone else, you know, they, they're trying to be overly maybe politically correct. They don't, they don't get into, uh, they don't like to share their opinion as some something really from what it, what is what is uh, in the uh, in the in inside of them so i kind of like a, i feel um maybe in, in a similar manner you you describe the you know the conversation on linkedin so that's why i'm just wondering do you think that linkedin is actually a good platform to 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 share your story well there, there are two questions that and i'm not sure which one you're asking so there's me sharing some story and then there's me using storytelling to make some point. Mm -hmm. And in my, in my model of communication, the way that I think about it, the way I believe everyone should think about it, is that the first thing you do when you communicate is you specify what your objective is. I have some point that I want to make to some audience for some reason. 
And then you find, okay, how do I communicate this message, craft it, deliver it, frame it, so that I maximize the probability of achieving my objective? And if you have that, and you can use storytelling to achieve that objective, of course you should do it. If you just have some goofy story about finding a strawberry at the beach, and you're gonna post some pictures of you running on LinkedIn, that you went for a trail run this morning, but there's no professional point to it. It's just desperation, histrionic attention seeking, then probably you shouldn't do it. But, it. but if you have an objective and you can maximize the probability of achieving that objective by illustrating your point with story, then definitely you should be doing it. And that's what I do with people, it's that part. It's not how do we get some goofy content for you to post about some random story, no. Know your objective and then align your actions with that objective. Often the best way to align those objectives is to communicate what you're saying with the story. So there should be more of that and there should be less of just random, no one understands what the point of the story is, stories. Okay. Wouldn't that be just um, sharing what you what you are? You, you mentioned, you know, be unique or, or not unique, be, be, be you basically like, uh, uh, you said that you mentioned you mentioned actually that you're sharing some stories about you know what what you did with your daughter and all that. Um, is that th does that has any any objective uh, for you to make in order to uh, to make some point at the end? Always yes. Okay. There, there's always a point, and then that the the story is just a means of illustrating the point. Okay, the the story itself is not the point. The story hopefully illustrates some point. And the story is used to make that point. And what I was saying earlier is that people should feel more comfortable when they tell stories of expressing those vulnerabilities. So the point should not be, let me tell a story to express vulnerability. No, don't do that. I don't see that. Mm -hmm. But if you have a point you want to make in order to maximize the probability of making your point, you can use a story that itself will be more powerful if you're truthful and you express vulnerability in telling the story and that helps you make your point, then if you're rational and if you don't overestimate the risk of being vulnerable, then by all means, that's what you should do. So it needs to be systematic. It needs to be logical. It's not just posting some Facebook, Instagram garbage on there, but just always communicating intentionally mm -hmm. with a purpose and objective. Got it. Neil, when you're talking about, about stories, do you have any prefer, uh, preferred mean, means of communication? Would it be, you know, written text? Would it be video? Uh, perhaps audio? I don't know. I, until recently, I thought video was the best way for people to do it because you get sight, sound, and motion. I'm, I'm concluding now that actually written communication especially for people when they first start out doing storytelling as an intentional activity, that they should do it in a written form. Because when you write it out, instead of just freestyling it, which is what people do on video, you should not do a video where you're reading off a script. It's going to be painful for everyone. So most people then end up just kind of winging it, do a lot of what I call drunk driving, where the story goes all over the place for a little while, point gets lost. But when you write, you can, you can see clearly, is there a logic to this sequence of events? Is there fluff? Is there stuff that can be removed? And you can edit a written story much easier. So I, I think more people should be doing written 
relatively few people should be doing the video form until they're able to actually write it and craft it and structure it and engineer it. But whatever you do, you always start out with an SFD and just put it out there and who cares if it's not great. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's interesting. And um, when you start with, uh, with your clients, when you, when you start working with your clients, what are the first thing you, um, you, work, you work on um, with them? I've already said it twice in here, but I didn't tell you is the four tactical objectives in communication, just an absolute sensitivity to these. The first thing you need to get anytime you communicate in written form, in spoken form, on video, however, is you need to get attention. Okay, why? Because attention is the most critical objective because without achieving that objective, your audience's attention communication is doomed. It's hopeless mm -hmm. because attention works like a gate. If your audience is not attending to what you're saying, the gate goes down and none of your message gets through. So be incredibly sensitive to that. So what does that mean? Don't be boring. Hi, everyone. Uh, I really appreciate getting the chance to talk about storytelling today. Storytelling is a very powerful method of communicating because it causes the brain to release dopamine and oxytocin and studies have shown, right? If I start doing all that, no one's really going to be listening at 100%. So mm. the first goal is to get attention. The second is to make sure that your audience understands you. What's the best way to maximize the probability of that? First, actually, you understand what it is that you're trying to say. Okay, because if you don't know what your point is, if you're just talking, but you don't have absolute laser clarity on what the point is, What's the probability that I'm going to conclude your point at the end? Well, less than if you did know. Then the third goal is if you speak, but people don't remember that you spoke or what you said, you're a failure as a communicator. Maybe you're still a good person, but as a communicator, people don't remember what you said, you failed. Mm -hmm. And then fourth, you should try to communicate so that in principle, at least, people can retell other people what you said. Mm -hmm. Summary, you need to get people's attention. They need to understand you. You want them to remember it. You want them to be able to talk about it. If you achieve that, then you've done something quite remarkable, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, what's one of the best ways of doing that? Not surprising, coming from me, it's storytelling. But storytelling is just a means of achieving these objectives. That's it. If there's a better way of achieving those objectives, then use it. But storytelling quite often is a means of achieving those objectives because we remember stories, we can retell stories, a good story, it gets people's attentions, it, it hits all those marks. Mm -hmm. So that's where I start. Okay, so stop being boring, know what you talk about, and always speak with very clear objectives deliberately. Mm -hmm. Okay, I must get their attention. If I'm not getting their attention, if I'm not engaging them, the gate closed and it's game over. I should just shut up. Hmm. If I'm speaking, but I don't know my point, they're not going to get my point. They're not going to understand it. What's the point then? <clears throat> if I talk to them, but they don't remember it because I didn't give them something that's going to help them remember it, I also failed. If I stated it in such a way that they're not going to be able to re-explain it to someone else later on, I also failed. So before you start speaking, just think deliberately about those goals. And then as you speak, speak intentionally so that you're not going at odds with the objectives by droning on for too long and repeating yourself, kind of like I'm doing right now. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, it's it's really interesting because um, in um, in videography, I'm I'm a uh, you know former TV producer, so so we've been told always that the attention span of the people is extremely short. So you need to catch the attention of the person right off the bat, and I think the attention span is getting even shorter now. I, I you know, always coming up with these, you know, four seconds and five seconds and something like this. Um, Dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? What do you actually? What do you do? Uh, is there any? Um, is there anything to do in order to catch attention? Uh, catch the attention of 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 a people. What do you teach? What do you tell tell your students? Don't be boring. Okay. How do you not be boring? You must be engaging. What's the best way to be engaging? The substance, the content of what you say. Not some bad, goofy acting, but just know what you're going to say. And if you know that what you're going to say is good, it works because you engineered it, because you spent time on it, because you put in the hard work. And it is actually hard work to contradict myself from 24 minutes ago. If you put it in, you increase the chances that people are going to engage by it. Now, when you start delivering it to people, if it's on Zoom, for instance, then don't just imagine that you're just talking to yourself. What do you need to do? You need to look at the audience. Are they with me? When I say something that is deliberately funny, even though it's perhaps not so funny, are they responding the way you are right now? Are they laughing? If they're not and they've checked out, they're not responding to anything you say. You're not getting any micro gestures or macro gestures or hand gestures or anything. Then you need to cut it down. You can use silence. You can do many, many things just to make what you're saying more engaging. There are lots of tricks, lots of tactics, but the main thing is just go in with some substance and don't drunk drive and nail your point and plan and work on it, put in the hard work and, and stop giving the, the shitty little speech. <laughs> I, I, get you, I get your point. Uh, what you're saying right now, uh, it sounds to me more like a, um, be engaging in a conversation or in um, when, when you're standing on a stage, for example, or, or delivering some, some talk or, or you're talking to somebody on a Zoom. But how can you do that? How can you emulate these things while, for example, you write, you, 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 you know, your, your storytelling in a text or in a video, for example? You, again, that, that, that's back to the content part of it. So you just, <clears throat> Elmore Leonard has very good writing advice that everyone on LinkedIn, everyone everywhere should use. Elmore Leonard sold a whole bunch of novels. He kept getting asked, why have you done so well as an author? <clears throat> and he says, very simple. I leave out all the parts that people skip. Okay, so in your message, if there's some blah, blah, if you're going to write a story and you say, it was a sunny day, the birds were outside, it was lovely at the beach, no one wants to read that, right? How should you start? He walked up to me and put a knife up to my neck. Okay, if that's the first sentence of your story, you got my attention. But if it's a paragraph of fluffy blah, 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 because the only time you ever wrote something was in English class for some English teacher who was a failed writer, and you thought that writing amounted to doing some bad, overly descriptive B-grade garbage, and you start writing that way, no one's going to read it. So what should you do? Just leave out all the parts that people skip. What's the best way of deciding what people are going to skip? If you yourself wouldn't read it, if someone else wrote it, if you know that your eyes would be scanning, looking for the, the quotation marks, the dialogue, then just suppose that the universe is symmetric and that your audience is like that and that they would also skip it and leave it out. So, so get out of these garbage ideas that 
it's some English writing class, you need to write in a particular way that stories look a particular way, don't. Because a lot of the best writing doesn't look anything like you learned in your crappy high school English class. It just needs to be effective. And Elmore Leonard, another one of his rules is, I think it's his first rule of writing, never begin a novel with the weather. <laughs> and likewise in your story, never talk about it as a sunny day. I don't care if it was a sunny day, it doesn't matter. The grass was green. What other colors are going to be? I don't need to hear any of that. Just give me to the action, something happening. Because I told you, what do people want? Something needs to happen to someone, right? And that's what we want. I don't care about the trees and the birds. I don't care. He was awesome. A bunch of descriptive stuff. What you need to do is there needs to be action. My boss walked up to me and he said, this isn't worth the bologna sandwich. Okay, if, if that's the first sentence, I don't know what that means, but you got my attention. Okay, if it was my second job, it was my third day of my job, and I had just been out of school for two years, and my parents always told me the importance of working hard. If people go into this little speech-giving garbage that they do, pass, 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 but if the first sentence is my, my, my boss walked up to me and said, this isn't worth more than a bologna sandwich, you gave me some incentive to read because I want to know what that means. Mm -hmm. Leave out all the parts that people skip. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, really really a lot of lot of interesting. I, I even took some notes while while you were while you were talking about uh, attention, understanding, you know, being memorable, and all the things, and uh, making sure that people actually can. Um, retold your retell your story um so make sure that um, so these these are probably the the the, the, the main part uh, which um, which we should remember from from um, from the storytelling uh, uh, so I, i'm really i'm really happy that uh, you had i don't know you spent some time with us today and uh, before we go neil where can people find a little bit more about you and where would you uh, invite them probably on the, you have a linkedin obviously and uh, anywhere else LinkedIn is the best place. Good okay. enough. Okay. So Neil Bearden, um, find find Neil Bearden on on the LinkedIn. Yep. Neil, once again, thank you very much. It was it was a pleasure to have you have you here. Um, any specific end um, of this of this podcast? Being you know, mind you, you should be memorable, right? Yeah. Just so just edit out the first thirty minutes of this conversation and just skip to the bologna sandwich, and that <laughs> that should be it. That's all yeah. you need. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, fair enough again. <laughs> Neil, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you here on the, on the LinkedIn Smart Podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Please make sure that you subscribe to our LinkedIn Smart Podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast. We would really appreciate it. Thank you and see you next time. Be LinkedIn Smart. LinkedIn Smart Podcast was brought to you by Square Motion, a video marketing agency in Dubai. Need an engaging LinkedIn video? Go to squaremotion.me.